thanks for your attention. I appreciated that admonition. Uh, not that I think I deserve your attention, but I'd like to take that point a little further. Uh, I hope that you, I hope that God has your attention this morning. That's really where the message should come from, and I believe it will. That's my desire, and as we look into the Word and allow the Spirit to speak to us, that should be the basis for our input this morning. It's good to be here again. It seems like um, time kind of stretches out between the times I get here. Um, kind of the way the calendar works and, and the rotation, I think we get here about once every year and a half. And uh, that doesn't seem like a very short interval, but actually it came around faster than I thought. I think it just keeps on doing that. But I do uh, enjoy being here, coming back to the Ebenezer congregation once in a while. For a message this morning, I want to share something that I would say the Lord has brought into my experience through gleanings from other people's input. You know, uh, sometimes we think we're pretty smart and wise and, and uh, maybe even original with some things, but truth is that we're pretty much influenced by outside sources of other people's input, the scripture, the spirit. And if we are just real honest, uh, we don't really have a lot of original to, to submit. Now, I'm thankful that the spirit is, is faithful to take this truth and this truth sometimes and weld them together and help us to get a real picture of the reality. And, and maybe that's kind of original with us and the spirit. And so maybe you'll even see a little of that. But God gets the glory. In the fairly recent past, I was listening to a sermon, um, a download sermon, from Brother Frank Reed. How many of you know Frank? I uh, thought maybe some of you would. I don't know him real well, but I've heard him preach a few sermons and enough sermons and enough input from him that I really learned to appreciate Frank and, and his uh, his perspectives, he was preaching a sermon that was entitled something like this. I don't think I have the title. I don't have it written down. I don't have it exact. But it was to the, somewhat to the effect that he was looking back at how to correct the things that we've messed up over the last 50 years. It's kind of an interesting perspective or overview. And I don't know that I that he trashed our church and said that we've got it all wrong. That's not, that wasn't the point. The point was more, uh, let's learn from the past, that w things that we could have done better. And so I'm going to pull a little bit of what he shared. Now, this message is not his message, but he stimulated my thinking. And I have a few thoughts that he shared kind of mixed in this message. But somewhere in that message, he, came, he made some mention of the body and he said, he kind of stopped and said, the body. You know, I've never heard a sermon on the body. He meant our physical body. He said, that make a good sermon sometime. And I got, the wheel started turning. And I thought, you know, he's right. They make a good sermon sometime. And so uh, I, I wanted to go down that path. And as it turned out, uh, the whole sermon is not on the body. But we look at the body a little bit in this message I've entitled this message, The Gift of Life. 
You know, each one of us have been given a gift from God, and that's the opportunity to experience existence in this world for a time. That's a gift to us. It was designed and created and delivered into our, our possession by God. It was no accident that any of us were born. And we, we each have the opportunity to experience life. It's only a one-time deal. But we're given a responsibility with this opportunity, and that, means, that is that we're to be stewards of this opportunity. And at the end of our life, somewhere God is going to call us in and have us evaluate our life with him, and he's going to make some judgment calls on how we did. We're going to answer at judgment. And it's interesting that if you study scripture, you'll notice that, he does, that, that scripture does not say that we're going to be judged at the end according to our ambitions, our intentions, our, our design and desire for what we wanted to get done, but, or, or even our, our attitude. We're going to be judged by our works. And our works are what comes from this body that's in operation. And so our body operates according to our attitude. It, it operates according to what our commitment is, our aspirations, our, our design of life in our mind. But the reality is we're going to be judged by what happened in the body, how it functioned on earth kind of a sobering thought. You know, I shared with the Sunday school class a little bit of a, 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 a part of a story. And I don't know, it, it's happened a good while back. I may have shared this before, but I don't think so, not here. If I did, bear with me. Uh, all of you weren't here then anyway. But I was uh, led to, sh to witness to a young man at, in an airport one time on a flight and I told the Sunday school class, I'm going to give him all the particulars, Now I'll give him a couple. One of the things I said to him was, uh, we, we were talking about uh, information and how readily available it is and, and you know, the Internet and our, our phones and all this thing. And, and he was talking about the games he liked to play and the things he liked to do and the things he liked to be involved in. And he didn't, he didn't divulge all that reality with me, but I could read between the lines a little bit. And I said, you know, there's a day coming when we're going to give an answer for all that we did in life. Oh, yeah. I said, yeah. I said, Scripture says that there's, at the judgment, there's going, to be two, there's going to be a book that's open, and God's going to look in that book and see if our name's in there. And if our name's not in there, we're in trouble. But it also says that the books are going to be open. That's plural. And I believe that's each person's individual life will be open. And actually, I said, our head, our brain, our, our thoughts, everything will be laid right out. And it'll be truth to be observed by, by God and, and, and anybody else that could be observing. And I said, I think that, each, that those books, plural, are everybody's life. And he got nervous. He, he started, oh, really? And uh, he asked me some questions about it. I could just tell he started fidgeting and... And I said, but now listen, I want you to understand something. If we're not too pleased with what our life might look like, there is a remedy. Jesus died, shed his blood, and if we have faith in, in, in accepting that provision for cleansing our sins, that 
everything that's negative in our life, everything, every sin will be blotted out. And so when our book is open, that part will be missing. And I thought maybe that gave him a little consolation, but it didn't seem to help. He was still pretty nervous. Not, not, you know, not fidgety nervous, but I could just sense he was under conviction. And then he got up shortly after that and started boarding the plane. The plane had just started boarding, and he got on early. He, he, you know, he was pretty much first on. And, of course, I, was, I waited until last. Well, I'm not going to tell you all the rest of the story. You can ask the ones that were Sunday school how that turned out. But my point was simply that the part that I wanted to bring in here is that we're going to give an account for our lives, but, there, but God has given us the opportunity to have a clean slate, that what we did in our body, the things that we're not proud of, the things that we're sin, they can be remedied by the blood of Christ. We accept the forgiveness of God, but you don't just get that done automatic. It, it's a matter of accepting the responsibility, confessing our sins, repenting of those sins, turning around, and then allowing the Spirit to give us that desire to serve God wholly and in a sanctified life in our body. And so there's hope, and there's a good part of that. And actually, you all know this, that there's a blessing. It's, it's an enjoyable part of existence is that, that journey with God and the blessing of the Holy Spirit giving us direction and giving us the joy and, and that, that walk with him. It's a tremendous blessing. And yet we're human and we fail. We, are, we tend to be selfish. We tend to be self-centered. And we, we get in our own way so often. And we, we block out the spiritual realities that God wants to pour into our life. And, and we make mistakes because we have these tendencies, carnal tendencies, but that's why we're admonished from Scripture to take up our cross daily. We need, to, we need to have a clean slate again each day as we acknowledge our failures. And it may not be any blatant failures, but just the reality that I wasn't as sanctified as I could have been. And we just ask God to cleanse us and, and go with us and take us toward perfection. You know, Paul said uh, that also he talks about that that. Pursuit of perfection is it's something that's always a quest that's out there. We, we're never quite perfect, but, we, but we're actually perfect in heart. When we pursue, that makes us perfect before God. If we prefer, pursue in sincerity and honesty before God, that means that when we know we've done something wrong, we're willing to own up to it, admit it, confess it, and repent, like I mentioned earlier. Well, one of the points I want to make early is that uh, in our minds, sometimes, I think inadvertently, we have a concept. We don't even know we have this concept, but I think we have a concept that somehow our body was destined to be in existence, and so God saw fit that it had a soul that had a spirit so that it was a complete unit. I'd like to propose a little different perspective, and that is that God had in mind for our existence spiritually, as a soul, and he provided us a body. And that's the vehicle to get from here to eternity. You see, the, the, our soul is what's important. It's the focus. So 
It's so easy for us in our material reality to think in terms of our body is the important thing, and incidentally, we have a soul. And so we need to take care of that. We need to take care of it, and, and you know, we kind of got, became responsible for this soul thing because that's the only way you can really live, and God had to put a soul in there to get this body to function. Well, the truth is, he gave us, he created a soul, and he put a body with it so that it has a, it's a vehicle to get to eternity. And so we need to focus more on the, the soul than the body, but it's going to affect the body and how it functions. There's a verse that uh, I find interesting. It it's, doesn't um, flow exactly in context with this, but it helps point us to this, this reality of, of what, how the soul and body work. Um, in in uh, 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? The Spirit can only dwell in a spirit, and, this, and, and he dwells in our spirit, in our body. There's another verse that I wanted to uh, bring to our attention, and that would be uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. I'm sorry, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, that, like I say, that's just a little bit out of context in, in light of what is in focus there. But it does point out that reality that we have an earthen vessel to carry and transport the treasure the, the uh, excellency of the power of God, that working of God's spirit within us. And so we need a body. And I want you to notice a couple, I'm going to read a couple more verses here in, in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, um, he mentions this, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power of God may, may be of God and not of us. Then he goes on to say that the reality of it is that we're in our body and we, we experience life. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You know, there, there's a, this uh, connect, spiritual connection gives us that hope and that reality that we will not be defeated in, in, in the mission that we're here to accomplish when we're plugged into the spiritual reality of God's design for us. When, the, when God's spirit is in this vessel, then we're going to experience life, and it's, going to be, it's not going to be all easy. There's going to be bumps along the way, perplexities and problems, persecutions, he says. And he goes on to say in verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord, the dying of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Always bearing about the dying of the Lord Jesus. You know, these issues of life that are distressful or, or difficult, actually, if we're dead to self, our own agenda then it doesn't really matter. It helps us to accept what we're going through, and it helps us to be able to experience the power of God in our earthen vessel, to get it done God's way. Always bearing about the body of the dying of the Lord. Actually, there's another aspect of that that I want to bring in here, and that is that, that as I outlined how we, how we get ourselves in tune with God while ago, the one thing that is focus is a focal point of that is that it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, it's accepting the reality 
of his sacrifice in my behalf. And of course, that's what the blood, uh, the mention of the blood is a reference to. It's that sacrifice that was needed to be able to satisfy the judgment of God on sin. And so I can ask God for forgiveness because Jesus, he didn't pay the penalty, but he made it possible to make an atonement so that my sins can be dealt with. Now, I said he didn't pay the penalty, and I said that on purpose because in our, in our evangelical circles and, and a lot of the mainstream religion today, Christianity, uh, there's this proposed idea, and they take it from Scripture, but they don't take it from putting all Scripture together and balancing Scripture. I can find verses that support that, ad, that idea, but if you look at the whole context, context of Scripture, you come to realize that that's not. Uh, that he did not pay the penalty. And I would like to just elaborate on a little bit. The penalty for sin, the curse for sin, the penalty for sin that was uh, administered in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell was that they would die. Well, Jesus died. So it sounds like he paid the penalty or he, he experienced that penalty. Well, the reality is that the curse carried with it more than just physical death. It actually meant spiritual death immediately. And they experienced that separation. See, death is separation. That's, those two terms are synonymous. And so they experienced spiritual separation. They died when they ate the fruit. Satan said, will you die? He says, you won't surely die. And he was having him focus on physical. The truth is they did spiritually, and they found out. They, fit, they sensed the guilt. They experienced that separation from God. And so there's another aspect of the curse of death. is spiritual death, physical death and spiritual death. There's another aspect of death, and that is eternal death. There's going to be eternal separation between anybody that, that hasn't had their sins dealt with properly. There's going to be an eternal separation forever, eternal death. And that in Scripture, in Revelation, is called the second death. Those who are cast into the lake of fire forever, Will be, it says that is called the second death. And, and it sounds like I'm a little bit, uh, I'm not following course quite to say there's three and there's two. Uh, one day I, it dawned on me, well, why is that called the second death and that's the last one? That's when I call the third one. And then it dawned on me. At that point, the first death became irrelevant because there had been a resurrection. So now there's only two deaths, and that's spiritual death and eternal death. But what I'm saying is Jesus did not experience spiritual death or spiritual separation from his father, even though some take one verse out of scripture and say that's what it says. It says that when he was on the cross that he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so they say, see there, God forsook him and he experienced, he experienced uh, the penalty of, of judgment and the wrath of God on sin, on him. And that's wrong. But what he did experience was a father who had to withdraw his protection on his physical life because he had never sinned. Therefore, the curse of sin was not upon him physically. If he would not have given his life, he would have never died. Even with all the beatings and all the the torture and everything they did to him, he could not have died because he had never sinned. So so uh, death was not an option for Jesus unless his father withdrew what was he was entitled to a forever physical life and that's when god had to turn 
his back on him, so to speak, or turn away and not give him that protection that was his. It was due him. But he did not separate himself from him spiritually. And of course we know he did not separate him from, uh, Jesus was not separated from God eternally. Because, and that's the whole scope of the curse. But because of Jesus' perfect life, because he was willing to die and to provide a, an atonement for us, eternal separation we, don't, we won't experience. We don't need to pay that part of the curse. We do have to pay the part of the curse of physical death. And we have had to have paid the spiritual death, the separation, but we have remedied that through the blood of Christ. And then that, pre, pre, uh, uh, that takes care of the problem of eternal separation. And so Jesus came uh, and gave us life through his death. It was kind of interesting on the way down here this morning. I saw a sign at a, uh, I'm not sure, I didn't even look at, at what, what it was there for or whatever. It was one of these little uh, portable signs that, that had a message on it. And it said, it said uh, give blood and give a life. You know, it's if you give a pint of blood, you could save somebody's life. Now, that's very honorable. But, you know, Jesus gave his blood to give life. But it's different. He gave his, life, his blood to the point of death. And, and, and we talk about his blood, we're talking about a symbol of his death and his sacrifice. Well, I just thought that was kind of interesting uh, to make that connection with my message this morning that it's only because of that blood that we can have this life. Can we have the spiritual aspect of life? <clears throat> In Psalm 139.14, it says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. I want to think about the human body a little bit more. Um, I've talked about the responsibility some, and the, the, the reality of having a body that functions for the purpose of housing a spiritual tabernacle, temple, where God can dwell. <clears throat> the psalmist said that we're made, we're fearfully made and wonderfully made. You know, I know all of you have had your, your physical um, uh, run-ins. Uh, if you haven't, uh, I'd like to talk with you. I, I want to know what it's like to have... For, to hear from somebody that has that testimony, I've never had any problems in their body. But, you know, it's so amazing to me how that so much can be wrong sometimes, and yet our bodies can heal. It's also interesting how some people's bodies, um, God allows them to experience affliction that doesn't really heal, doesn't go away. But it's a testimony to the fact that that. If there, were no, if there was no sin in life in, on earth, our bodies would have been perfect and that we never would have experienced any degradation of physical health. And so we're not in utopia. We, we will be given a new body that does do what ours could have done if sin wouldn't have came around. And so you think about these things and you realize that God is, is amazing in the way he put things together. Um, he put these, these cells together in our bodies in a way that so many things can happen that it's just, just so amazing. Um, and you that are in the health field understand this way more than some of us farmers. But yet, as a farmer, I marvel that God 
how would I say this, invested so much design in some things that are worth so little. And I'm not talking about human beings now. I'm talking about animals. You know, animals have eyes and ears that work like ours do. And they're, you, they're beyond explanation. You know, we know uh, from science that when we see something, our eye <clears throat> brings in the image, turns it upside down. And, and so we see everything uh, upside down originally. But then our brain turns it around and puts it right again. Well, for some reason, that's the way God saw it in the And I'm pretty sure that it's that way in the animals too. But the animals' bodies are, you know, we, we think of them as, as just, you know, uh, use and toss. And God designed it that way. He said we're to have dominion over the animals and, and so on. And yet there's, we could go into this. I, I can't. I haven't done the research. But I know enough to know that there's just um, so many marvels that we can't, uh, the science didn't even understand about the way God designed his creation. And we could look at the creation in other ways, but this morning we're kind of thinking about the body. But the thing that, that fascinates me about healing, and, and this brings me about uh, around to use this for an illustration for another spiritual application, but <clears throat> when the body is injured, the, the body mechanisms send out um, messages and the nerves do their part, uh, in other words, if there's, if there's uh, trauma to the body, the nerves respond in a certain way and, and help to uh, fix the damaged area uh, by, by sending impulses and, and uh, increasing blood flow and, and causing swelling. And, and these things, you know, we think of them as painful, but they're part of the process to help get toward healing. I was to a therapist recently because of a problem I was having. And I was, I was having some pain, and he was supposed to help me alleviate the pain. And he said, you know what pain is? He said, pain is the body's prayer. It's actually sending messages to the head saying, don't do that. It, brings, it makes my pain worse. But the, the, the pain signals are giving you a, a message to, to stay away from harm. You know, if you touch a stove, and I'm amazed how quick this can happen. Uh, you touch a stove, and your body responds faster than you ever even can think you can think. Your hand comes away. The pain sent a message. You prayed to the head to, to change course, and we changed course, and whew, could have been worse. Sometimes it's not fast enough to spare us from some, some more pain and injury, but uh, it's just amazing. And uh, I was to another, uh, I don't go to a lot of practitioners, but I've had a little problems here lately, and that's why, I, why I'm wearing these things, and I won't go into detail on that, but... Um, <laughs> So I've seen a couple different medical people, and, and uh, the one person told me at one point, he said, uh, we've, we've got to uh, do some things to make the signals from the brain quit sending the signals to be in uh, protection mode. They need to be in the healing mode. So you've been out of whack long enough that your brain finally gave up sending signals to heal. Now it's sending signals to cope. And so we've... Actually, this was, uh, I heard this from two different medical people. Anyway, so they said, we've got we've to, you've got to do some exercises that make your brain function a little different and send different signals so that we get this thing back to healing process instead of just uh, putting up a barrier, making your arm stiff so it doesn't move too far or whatever it was. I don't remember what it was anymore exactly. But it's just amazing. And I could go on and on, and, and you all don't want me to. 
the clock is doing the same thing. But I'd like for us to draw some lessons. You know, God has given us opportunities to grow and develop spiritually. And we, I've already alluded to it, we have bumps along the way. Life isn't perfect. And we respond to those things. We have, we have our issues. Sometimes we get bumped or offended. We get distressed. We get a scrape. We have a hard knock. And it can shake us in our perspective of who we are, what we are, what we're doing, what life's about, what God has in mind. And sometimes we need to heal from that injury. Um, before, I, before I go down this road any further, I want to read this verse, two verses, very familiar verses, but I want to plant them in our mind so we, we think about uh, what I'm going to say next with these verses in our mind. <clears throat> Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has a good and perfect will for you. He wants you to respond to life circumstances according to his perspectives so that you glorify him in your earthen vessel. He gets the praise and the glory. The power is seen as coming from him. You know, we've experienced doctors along the way that, that they may not seem all that religious, but they will acknowledge that, that they do the work and God does the healing. They just, they've done enough. They know that. And then there are some doctors even that will pray before they go into procedure. And we can appreciate that. God is the one that brings the healing. God in the body. Uh, you know, the cells uh, respond and, and like I say, uh, the blood flows maybe more to an injured area. But that's God's design. God designed it that way. It's not by accident. And I believe, and I'm even naive enough to believe that God, even on an ongoing basis, reaches into our lives and, and blesses where we need it at times in ways that we can't explain for healing. And then there's sometimes he withholds that healing that we, we wish for. But it's God's will that it's uh, often um, we seek God's will. And, and here it says that there is a perfect will. We, and, and yet I want us to realize that this is, needs to be more focused on the most important aspect of our life. And that's what it is. It's our soul and our spiritual journey. Our physical is somewhat incidental. Now it's very much involved and we have responsibility for it. But the most important aspect of this is the renewing of the mind so that we can prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Our grandson, a four-year-old, he was about nearing four, he wasn't quite four yet. He was riding a little bicycle that had, had, uh, was his for a good while, and he could ride that thing. I mean, he could, he could cover some territory with this little bicycle, just, you know, 10-inch wheels, just a little thing, and and, and his legs would just go, and, but it had training wheels on it, and it just seemed like they wouldn't fall off. And we kept saying, why don't you learn to ride that bike? Well, he gets along fine. He was just fine. But 
And we realized, we told him, somebody needs to just take you and get you on a bike without training wheels and just give you a little bit of help and you'll be able to ride. Well, we thought we would do that. Marie and I thought maybe we'd get that done. One of us thought you know, we ought to help him out. Nobody else was helping him out. But one day they did, somehow. And here he showed up with that bicycle without training wheels on it. And Grammy said, got a little story, got a little something I want to tell you. It's important to know. And that is, you're going to have an, a wreck on your bicycle. And you're going to get hurt on your bicycle. But just remember that that's going to happen. And when it happens, just get up, dust yourself off, and get over it, and get back on your bicycle, and keep riding. And within, it, it was, I don't know, it wasn't very long at all. Same day. It wasn't minutes later. He come, it wasn't just a few minutes he comes in the house just boohooing, and the world had caved in around him. He had a, a, an ugly place on his hand. The blood was coming, and, and he, life had just crashed. It wasn't just a bicycle. And he came to Graham, and he said, I'm hurt. And he says, I'm never going to ride that bicycle again. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was an emotional scar as long, along with this, this physical problem. And so Grammy comforted him and got the blood stopped and got a Band-Aid on it. It wasn't long he was out riding bicycle again. He, he healed. The emotional uh, trauma had healed, and his hand was healing. It wasn't long. It was a day or two later, he came and, what, where's, how's your hand? Oh, it's fine. No problem. It healed. And, and, you know, and then a couple weeks later, we see him racing his sister on her big bicycle, and he was keeping up. So, you know, his legs were doing this twice as fast as hers were. And it was the same spot that he'd had this accident in the gravels. He got his confidence back. He was doing fine. He learned from his experience, evidently. Maybe it's kind of subconscious, but uh, he, he could. And, you know, I'm saying this to say that in our spiritual life, we have some of the same things to deal with. Sometimes we get bumped, we get hurt. And this is where I want to shift gears now from thinking a little bit about the body to making application in our spiritual life, the spiritual walk. We've talked about that a little bit, but I want to bring it down a little bit more practical in real life. And <clears throat> this uh, comes back to some of the things that Frank shared in his message. You know, life has experiences that causes injuries. And they're in a, they're, they're, we can't avoid them. They're going to happen. Somebody's going to mistreat us. Somebody's going to maybe even accidentally do us wrong. It could be a brother or sister in the church could could. Do something that's not fair, uh, not even considerate. It might have been seemed outright ugly. It might have even been a wrong attitude. And we, we experience the injury of that. But you know, our opportunity is to let happen in our spiritual experience, in our soul, you might say, what God has designed to happen in our physical body and also in our spiritual body. The thing that needs to happen when we have injuries is there needs to be healing, and healing can only happen with the help of God. We need to, we need to open ourselves to God, and when we do that, we, need to, we, we actually uh, renew our minds about, about who we are in God and his plan and purpose for us, and the fact is that we need to die to self daily. You see, life is not about us. It's about 
God. It's about his perspectives, about glorifying him, not about protecting us, making us look good, or making us have a wonderful, bumpless experience in life. Actually, scripture actually helps us understand. In Hebrews 12, it says, uh, what son is it that isn't disciplined? It's, and, and I'm paraphrasing this, but it's God's love that he brings discipline into our lives. He calls it chastisement. And so God allows things sometimes to come into our life to help us sort through who we are spiritually and what, what our perspectives are spiritually. So when these things happen, there needs to be healing in, in our experience. We need emotional he- healing. Sometimes we need spiritual healing. And we need to go to God for that. One more thing, uh, one thing about that that, that really uh, spoke to me, and it was this. <clears throat> and that is that when we are injured, there's pain, emotional pain. If we're injured, injured emotionally or, or uh, you know, in, where we, our, our entitlement has been uh, affected or our, our idea of entitlement to a perfect life has been adversely affected by somebody else. And, and what needs to happen is that we need to be able to forgive. See, forgiveness is one of those things that proves our submission and surrender to God. Because he said, forgive. And if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. There, there won't be healing. And a sign of lack of healing is, is continued pain. In other words, if you find yourself being a Offensive or defensive. When somebody, maybe that person that injured you comes up, maybe says something and you have a defense or somebody tries to help you uh, see yourself and your spiritual dilemma and you get defensive, start arguing, no, no, that's, no you're wrong. And we defend ourselves. That's a pretty good sign that there, there still needs to be some healing take place. Like when Jordan's hand still hurt, he was very protective of that hand he wouldn't go ride a bicycle anymore he he was defensive he was going to protect himself and that's the way we are sometimes if we haven't totally surrendered back to God's will and and are willing to look for and accept his perfect will and to prove what is good and acceptable for us there's another aspect of this and that is that the reality is, if we, can, if we forgive, then we become truly broken. Brokenness is really the sign of being uh, dealt with prop- or dealing properly at the cross with our issues. Brokenness allows healing, and that healing is, takes place by God at work. And so if we are truly broken... We truly repent of, of our inclinations to protect ourselves. And I say ourselves, I think you understand what I'm saying. Our self-interest. Then we are able to forgive. We become selfless. We become obedient to God and his word with an appropriate submission. <clears throat> I want to make a, an application of... of uh, some things that need to happen, and I, I, I gleaned this from, from Frank, and this may, may feel like it's 
taken out of context here just a little bit, but I want to plug it in here, and I think you'll see the connection. And it's, it's, I'm talking about, I've been talking about personal issues and personal responsibility. I like to talk a little bit about the home and the, the generational flow of pleasing God. And that is that um, God has, has outlined a headship order for the home. He has, and those of us that were at the wedding yesterday heard it so eloquently put, you know, it's God, God is, expect, expects of man to be the leader and, and to uh, lovingly um, give leadership in the home. And the wife is expected to willingly submit to that leadership. And in reality, that submission that, that a wife demonstrates and illustrates is, is actually her submission to Christ as being demonstrated toward her husband. And then the children need to be obedient in that setting to please God. And so um, it, Frank made this comment that, that there's too many situations where we have, instead of a leadership husband, we have a passive husband. And instead of a submissive wife, we have a, I see the term he used was uh, aggressive wife. And in that situation, he said, often you have angry children. And where you have angry children, there can, you, you'll see more of a tendency toward it. And, you know, there's no exact science about this. And if you have an angry child, doesn't mean you don't have a father that's leading. I hope you understand that. But in general terms, these are the tendencies and the things that you, you can see. But he says you'll, you'll experience more of this open hostilities from children. Uh, this, their, their, their depravity shows up more. Uh, seems to be more confusion that leads to depression. And then he said, and he gathered this information by observation and, and uh, relating to students in Bible school, if I understood right, that in his counseling, he would find that where he had these problems, he could trace it back to this problem in the home. And he said that often in this upset, uh, inverted um, situation in the home, you'll have children that have a tendency to have more, more issues with their moral standards. And I found that interesting. It was kind of, really? And I'm not going to go into speculation of all that, but I do have some thoughts as, as to how that, why that is that way. But suffice it to say that God's order is important and that if we want God to bless and we want to prove his will in our bodies, we want to be acceptable to him and we want to glorify him in this earthen vessel, then we need to follow what he has prescribed for success. And that's, Spirit-led leadership in the man, in the husband, in the home. Spirit-led submission by the wife. And then children that are held to this standard of obedience in that situation. And by the way, if, if that situation is not in, in tune, it, it's not balanced, then it's going to be a lot more difficult to get the obedience from the children. And I say that here this morning partly because this was brought to my attention, and as I analyzed it, I could really appreciate where he's coming from and what he learned, and I, just, and I felt like we have a lot of young families here, 
and just the challenge, not to say you all aren't getting it done right, but just the encouragement to keep going the right direction and get it right. First Thessalonians 4, 4 says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Sanctification, purity, being set apart for service. And then, of course, when that happens, there is honor. God is honored. We actually are honored by God. That word sanctification, I could broaden a little bit more on, but uh, times here, I'm, I'm just going to say this much that when Moses was denied entrance into the promised land, if you go back and, and check the details of all that, uh, there's, there's, some, there's some broad uh, technical realities of, of what happened there. But if you boil it down, the scripture says that the reason God said he couldn't go to the promised land is because he did not sanctify God in, his, in, in, this, in that situation. In other words, he didn't show the children of Israel, who God was in this situation of bringing water, but in his anger, he made it look as though he was doing it. And he took, he took the honor from God upon himself. He was out of order. And so if we honor God properly and we're in order, that's sanctifying God. And God honors that. And God will bless. And so uh, we, we uh, have a, a lot cut out for us. A couple of verses I wanted to share with you from Acts chapter 20. Uh, verse 19 says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations. That was Paul's experience. Uh, he was saying, in, you know, life, isn't, life is tough. But still, serving the Lord with all humility. And then it dropped me down to verse 27. He says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You see, we need to pay attention to all of it. And then the next verse says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now he's, he's, he's speaking to the leadership here now. You see, I talk about leadership in home. There's actually responsibility to leadership in the church too. And sometimes we have to say some of the hard stuff, and it's not always fun. But, uh, you know, we, we like to be appreciated. But he says, To feed the church. Uh, let me read it over again. To take uh, to take. He, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Pretty important purchase, pretty precious. And then I want to, I want to, that's speaking to ministers. Now I want you to hear what he says to laity in Romans chapter 15, 14. He says, and I myself also am persuaded of you, brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So nobody's off the hook. We all have a lot of opportunity to help each other as we travel this life in our earthly vessels, that these earthly vessels actually are guided and directed by proper spiritual input, and the soul that's in there is, is, is being fine-tuned to the perfection that God wants it to be. And when that happens, it's observed in the body. You know, you've heard the, the comment, uh, you, I've said it before, I don't like to talk to people on the phone about sensitive issues. I like to be right where they are so I can read their body language. You know what that means? You can see the shrug, you can see the smile, you can see the frown, and don't go just by the words. In our bodies, we reveal what's in the heart. You know, 
And as a conservative church, we've kind of stressed this some that we don't look like the world. We don't take their ways and adapt them to us. And so we're not of the world. We're not in the camp of the enemy by the way we look. We don't have their uniform on. We dress different. And, and I could go into that a good bit. I think there's, there's some concerns I have that we maybe are leaning a little toward the enemy's uh, uniform sometimes. And, and maybe uh, we have body language that, we, we, uh, that I, I'm concerned. I wonder sometimes if we are expressing ourselves in, in the kind of sincere worship when we come to the house of God that we should. In that we're maybe adopting some of the world's tendencies toward independent ideas and, and, and the casual attitude toward life. And we're bringing that into the sanctuary where we're meeting before God, the almighty God that deserves all the honor. And sometimes we kind of dumb that down to say, well, I'm, you know, he sees the heart. Well, actually, we, we, we demonstrate our heart by our body conduct and our, our body language. The way you dress says a lot. And actually, it is a method of speaking about who you are. And so that's one reason the church has some standards to help us keep that in perspective. It's a little hard to discuss that sometimes and make it make scriptural and spiritual sense, but it's there. But there's other things too. It's it's just our responses, our reactions, our body language, our our groans, our smiles. They say a lot about what's happening in our heart. And I just want to encourage you to sanctify your body. Allow the spirit to sanctify your body to the glory of God in your daily walk with him. Let's have a song.